0: Hi friends, I'm Bloom Mitchell, photographer, publisher, and now podcaster. You're listening to The Diffusion Tapes, a podcast where I chat with photographers, curators, and writers working in the field of fine art photography. More specifically, these tapes are conversations with people I've befriended on my journey as an artist and publisher. So now I get to learn a little more about these folks that I admire and respect, and I'm inviting you into our conversation. Welcome to The Diffusion Tapes. Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to spend some time with the Diffusion Tapes. You know, while editing this session, I've been reflecting on how fortunate I've been to be here in these moments, conversing with these people that I respect so much. If you've tuned in to any of my past tapes, you know how important the community aspect of this and my other projects are to me. Aline Smithson has uplifted the art of photography, and in doing so, the art of community. In our conversation, we talk about the cultural evolution of photography, female representation in the medium, archiving in a digital world, portraiture, Aline's personal art history, her family, and the importance of play in the creation of photography. Aline said it best when she said, I was always the one to organize the dinner party. She continues to do that for our photo world, and we're all invited to the table. So, here we are. I'm here with Aline Smithson, and we are attending Photolucida. I feel like I might have met you at Photolucida, didn't I?
1: I think so. Yeah. I think this might be my ninth time coming.
0: As a reviewer and as participant. Correct. Over the years. I think
1: I reviewed with you, perhaps.
0: Yeah, I feel like the first time I met you, you sat at my table mm-hmm. as a photographer, and I kind of freaked out a little bit. Because and
1: so did I. <laughs> Because I was scared.
0: Yeah, was that the um, what's the body work? The shadows was that? Oh, what
1: was? Yeah, that, that was that era. Yeah, shadows and stains. Shadows and yeah. stains. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: oh, that's that's why I fell in love with you. It was because of that work. And then I remember you, that's all. You, well, then I <laughs> and then I met you in person, <laughs> which was a, kind of a ridiculous review, I think, because I remember. Knew, knew the work, but actually got to see it in person, which was great because I'm all about seeing work in person. But I think that might have been my first photo Lucida, to too, that I reviewed at. So I was pretty fresh as well as far as reviewing. But us having a history, we had a history before that online. I don't actually know how I got introduced to your work, but I remember you doing lens scratch we started our little online things at the same the same year so plates to pixels came out the same year that you started lens scratch
1: i think it was it was 2007 yeah, yeah. and uh, i think flack photo and fraction fraction
0: was like right around the same time i mean everybody too.
1: kind of started that was the era of the blog
0: Isn't that weird now cuz there's so many people that are we're all still involved but like in so many different yeah, ways now yeah like started out at that is that one little thing but
1: and it was very male-centric. Oh. Uh, there were very few women that so were. So that
0: made you sort of an anomaly. Um, an outsider. Anomaly. Yeah, really. Oh, yeah, I felt yeah. very
1: much an outsider.
0: Did you, even, on, even online, did you, did you get that?
1: Uh, not online, but no. just within that community.
0: Sure, yeah. The Boys Club.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, thank you for stating that. The Boys Club,
0: yeah. Well, it's interesting because I didn't, you know, being a man, and a, a white male. Like, I was ignorant to any of that in the photo world. And then, you know, got into photo history, and then you see it in that, in that alone, you know. But, yeah, I, I was totally unaware of that stuff when I first started photography. And maybe because I was thinking more personally about my own photographs and not about what's going on in the photo world.
1: Well, I, I see a radical change since the day that I started especially attending reviews when all the gatekeepers were men.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, boy.
0: Even, like, Gallerias and stuff oh, like that? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And now you look out, and it's, I think it's about 65. I, I kind of looked at who I was reviewing. hmm It's almost 70% women.
0: Women. Yeah, in my um, talk with Lori Verba, mm-hmm. she was saying that women have just taken over. Yeah. And I totally can agree with that.
1: I think 90% of all festival directors are women. Hmm. Almost a hundred percent, no, about 90 percent of all photo center directors are women. Many more curators are women. So it's fascinating.
0: It is. and, And I don't know because I feel like I'm so young to the medium. But as far as the community around photography is concerned, I feel like what's going on with those curators and with those organizers, there's a larger sense of community. Maybe that's why there's this nice, tight community we have, or part of the reason why is because people are, are setting things up that way.
1: Yeah. If we can only move that population to the political world.
0: Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Well, maybe we will. <laughs> <laughs> when I was doing research to talk to you, I was actually hesitant to ask you to be on the podcast, mostly because you get interviewed a lot. And so it's like, well, what am I going to talk about that, that other people I haven't already covered? But, you know, as you know, I like doing these face-to-face talks. And so to me, it's more, it's not really an interview. It's a conversation. In doing my research, I was looking at your resume and all of the interviews that you have listed. I'm sure there's more because they don't go beyond, I think, 2007 or something like that on your website, I saw that the Plates the Pixels one that I did, which was basically a Q&A back in the day. But So I think that's the first time I actually had like a real interaction with you and learning about your work and stuff. So it's been, I think I published that uh, 10 years ago.
1: I feel really privileged to be interviewed by you. And you have to realize that as artists, we're always evolving and learning and changing. So what we want to talk about may be completely different than 10 years ago
0: yeah well well and also i didn't know what i was doing 10 years ago <laughs> you
1: and everyone else
0: <laughs> it's changed so much well it's like you said earlier the medium has changed like everything has changed so much in 10 years the you know there's less galleries and it's just the venues have changed mm-hmm. the the whole thing is like a like photo climate change. Yeah. <laughs> this whole like shift of uh, of the culture, I think has changed a lot. And that's a lot of it's technology really related to that. So I guess with Lenscratch you were sort of on this like up and coming curve and it just blew off. I mean, blew blew off. <laughs> just blew up. <laughs>
1: uh, Got to get your name in there.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, one thing I have always done is um I've never been in competition with anyone. Mm. I just kind of kept my head down and kept working. And I think the fruits of that, of the consistency and the open-mindedness of my curation, I feel like people are are now really looking at it. I've never looked at Google Analytics. I have Mm. no interest in how many followers or readers we have i just want to share work sure so i keep it is that
0: jonas's job to to keep track of that stuff
1: no i don't even have him look nobody does it Mm -mm.
0: that's really great yeah i like that because you're not really worried so much about that piece of it well the proof is in the pudding you think about you know where lens scratches led you and, and professionally you know it obviously it's got a lot of eyes on it and it's been very impactful to people over the years we probably wouldn't I be think of here, it so. as my MFA. Yeah, right.
1: that's now, great. Now, if someone would just give me an MFA for yeah, that what, effort. Yeah, what is that but, like
0: an honorarium? Yeah. You should get yeah. one. Yeah, oh, we got to make that happen. That's the next step. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm down. <laughs> I like that. So, since we're talking about photos, that, uh, and I mean, and you've talked about this also in other interviews, but you, you're very busy and you're very active. So, how many, how many festivals do you think you do a year?
1: I would say five.
0: Five festivals in a year, on average.
1: I don't actually know. <laughs> that's a lot, though. I mean, yeah, yeah. I can yeah.
0: I can barely like manage one a year. <laughs> so five festivals, and so there's a drive beyond just you. You know, you're very passionate about what what you're doing. So what I feel like that's the reason, and I'm just guessing here, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason that you do five festivals a year and everything else you're doing with scratch and, and teaching all that stuff is really this like passion for the community it's not just about the art right. right to me it seems like if you're if you're that involved in the photo community then you're talking to people constantly whether you're teaching or being taught to or lecturing or doing a review right all these things and even Scratch, you know daily updates and all the collaboration that you've done on there with other people, you know, and then turning something that's like one person uh, doing a blog to all these people volunteering and helping you and be making, you know, substance out of stuff. Have you always been that way as far as the when you're passionate about something, you go like all the way with it?
1: Yeah. And I've always been the person that organizes the dinner party hmm. and the, you know, the birthday parties and. But I feel like my life is so much richer for for having a community. And I've never felt like I wanted this to be a solo journey. Mm. And I feel like we all lift each other up and support each other. And boy, did I see that the proof of that when my book came out. Mm. Because I supported so many photographers, they turned around and supported me. And that's really, this community is so amazing. With right.
0: a, so you're talking about Self and Others mm-hmm. book, and that was, what, three years ago? When did that
1: come out? Two, 2015. Oh, so 2015. Wow. It's four been, years it's been ago. Four years. Yeah.
0: So in the, in the back of the book – I mean, it's a beautiful book, by the way. I just It's just gorgeous. It was way more, like, intense than I expected when I first heard about it. And then it was like, that's oh, it's beautifully designed, and it's so – it's just this – in some ways, I was like, what, what is she going to do from here? Like, how does she <laughs> – how do you compete with that, right? Because it was sort of a retrospective yeah. of, like, 20 years of yeah. work. So I think – Anyways, you were what I was getting to. Is the, at the back there's a, there's a list of all the people that helped you make the book happen, and it's extensive. And uh, so I can see what you're saying, like just seeing well, all I, that stuff come back to you, and and just celebrating you and your work. And
1: what was wild is that the Kickstarter fulfilled in six hours. Oh wow, six hours. Six, yeah. And then I had a whole month left. To generate income from right. it so
0: so did you use the extra funding to make a more dynamic book
1: yes and a special edition mm-hmm. and then That's I right. was able to use some of those funds for exhibition
0: great so when you did how many special editions did you do?
1: I think we did 500
0: oh, okay and I'm assuming those are living at a lot of great collections right
1: I certainly hope so. <laughs> I still have some in the garage, but oh, uh, yeah, I need to get. I need to be more proactive in pushing
0: it out. Well, it's it nice out. to have some, though, yeah. that you can hold on to and share with people. Uh, it's it's just a beautiful project. I'm curious, though. So you basically had an amount that you needed to come up with yourself, right? And so that's where the Kickstarter came in. And this is going to be for our listeners who haven't done something like this. How did you market it? Because I know how you work. You're not going to self-market on your own own platform as much. So how did you market the Kickstarter, considering you live kind of in two worlds here?
1: Well, some of the best advice I got in terms of doing a Kickstarter was that you have to actually do individual emails to people Mm -hmm. so that people don't feel like they're just part of a group.
0: Like a mass call, mailing or something? Mass
1: mailing mm-hmm. for a call for money.
0: Mm, sure.
1: And you just tell them how important it is to you. Sure. Um, of course, I did newsletters and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Right. You know, I've never really used Lenscratch to promote my own work. And there's sometimes that I've wanted to put my own work on and say, you know, or or do a mixtape mm-hmm. of me on yeah, there. But I've yeah. never, I've just... You know, never done that. So I've never used lens Scratch. I hope I have to look back and see if I ever did anything on my own book. But well,
0: oh, on your yeah. Like trying to yeah. call attention to right, it. Right, right. Maybe after, you might have had one after it was published, right?
1: I don't know. You didn't even, don't, maybe didn't even do that? I don't again. think I did that either.
0: Wow. So speaking about the mixtapes, that was something I was curious to talk to you about, is um, are you still actively doing the next stage?
1: Yes, I have one coming out next week. Um, David Rosenberg, who used to be with Slate. Okay. And he is now with TED Talks. Oh, great. But I started those because I realized when people go to portfolio reviews, they really don't know who they're meeting with other than the title of their job. Mm-hmm. And when I used to go to reviews, I would say, oh, I'm going to meet with so-and-so, and then I would be so nervous when I ran into the room, I'd immediately forget who they were. Oh, right. So I wanted just to give a 3D perspective of who someone was meeting with. Mm-hmm. And I love, mixtapes are some of my favorite things to produce because I find out about people's childhoods and, sure. and things that they're proud of in their life and maybe something quirky that they do on the side we don't know about. So Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I like I like the format of that when you had me do a mixtape. I really appreciated that oh, you were talking about earlier about doing this interview with um, what is the name of the magazine that you just?
1: Oh, um, she shoots film. She
0: shoots film. So you had a recent interview with them, and, and you were talking about how you and the interviewer took time to digest and write and rewrite. And I felt like you gave me that luxury too with the mixtape, as I was able to go in and I had a first draft of it, and then I had time to like. Go back and reread it, and and I like that interchange. And also, it was like I was able to focus on things that was that nobody else had ever asked me before. That's what was great about the mixtape, and and then reading them as well, it's the same thing. Like, oh, I never knew that Amita yeah. Like, you know, getting these um, you know backgrounds on and having the more unique kind of perspectives on people. I think as a photographer, knowing more about these people is imperative, really to. Being able to like have a good conversation, or at least have a future relationship with people, you know, having that kind of option of knowing them a little more, you know, you don't always get a a podcast like this, or (laughs) right, you don't get the luxury. You get at these review sessions, you get twenty minutes to talk to someone, and maybe it ever. So um, having that background is really intriguing. I think when you started, this is totally a random comment but when you started mixtapes i mean did are you you, did you make mixtapes like literal mixtapes before i mean what what made you come up with that idea
1: i i think you know i lived in a household where my children were constantly creating mixtapes and christmas gifts were a mixtape you know or Um, a birthday gift or you know a party we're gonna make a mixtape so i don't know for me it was just a um Bringing together of lots of things about someone, and it was kind mm. of their mixtape right
0: so I like that because it's it's true like when I was younger and made mixtapes it was it was sort of like a, if you're not the artist you're just the curator essentially then it's it's like reflective of where you are in your life or, right or what the intention of the you know, party is or whatever, so you have this like kind of nice snapshot of that of that person in that actually now that I, I still have some of my old mixtapes on tape. And when I look back, I'm like, Oh, that's so great because it's, it really is like a moment in time, right? Almost like photography in a way. Like it's a moment of time of your life and your personal experience. That's like in there in that tape, which is a great segue to this, the diffusion tapes, because I wanted people to understand that this is, I mean, I'm not literally recording on tape, but the idea is similar to your concept with the mixtapes is, you know, like you're kind of curating this little section of a person, or you know, for me, it's this conversation. We're having a conversation, so it's very unique to that moment, and that's it, right? <laughs> it may if you and I talked in a month or in a year, our conversation would be totally different, right? Speaking of music, your your family has musicians in the family. Are you a musician at all? Or did you ever play music?
1: Um, I took piano for a long time, okay, um, but my focus was always on dancing mm. and i don't mean ballet i mean soul train right right <laughs> so i love to dance sure i take hip hop 5 days a week
0: nice wow that's you're very busy with dancing yeah do you ever dance publicly
1: um i was in a hip hop dance troupe last year but i only allowed my husband to come to the performance and i i wouldn't even buy the video so (laughs) no one will ever see that (laughs)
0: that's great though that's so great i'm so glad you're doing that yeah so uh have you always been a dancer then
1: yes i actually was on some teen after school sort of you know dance uh, music programs where like bands would come in and i did some dancing on the scaffolding behind them wow and
0: this was like broadcast
1: yes but (laughs) only locally
0: (laughs) (laughs) well so you so this was in la you grew up in la yes i did yes so that was probably more prevalent down there that that's was it like a local yeah it was i
1: could walk there from uh my junior high wow nice yeah
0: that's really great so how did you get into (laughs) that you just showed up one time
1: yeah you know it was we all showed up hmm. like all my friends, and we would try to get on the show and,
0: nice, yeah, that's great, fun,
1: but there is a lot of music. my husband comes from a family that uh is their roots are in music okay. and uh and my son's a musician,
0: yeah, so that's I was just gonna ask you about him your son henry right mm-hmm. you have so you have two kids, you have Charlotte and Henry, correct, correct, what are their ages now?
1: 27 and 30.
0: And so Henry is, well, he's got a, what do you call it, a moniker? His name? Yes. R.L. Grimes. R.L. Grime. 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 I want to say Grimes. Now, Grimes Grimes
1: is a a separate entity. It's a young woman who's a singer.
0: Yes, yeah. So R.L. Grime, Mm -hmm. which is related to R.L. Stein, I believe. Correct. Okay, so I I remember. It's funny because I knew your son's music before he knew.
1: Well, he was clockwork originally.
0: Oh, okay. And so is he still in New York or did he move to LA? No,
1: he's in LA. He's in LA. Yeah. Did
0: he move when you went back to LA? No, no, no. No. He stayed in New York. He
1: he stayed in he went to school in New York.
0: Okay. And
1: then moved out after.
0: I see. So cuz I I saw on his Spotify that he was New York based, you know, kind of where he got his his up and coming. So was he DJing then? What was he doing? He was in-
1: going to NYU, okay, uh, studying the business of music.
0: Ah, okay.
1: And he s- signed with uh, a very significant DJ when he was very young, and they started touring him.
0: Oh, nice. So, so he was DJing in that way. He was learning on the job. Yeah. Wow. That's but great. But he
1: he DJed in high school and. Hmm. Uh, and then did sort of dorm room mixed, you know, mashups.
0: Right, right. Nice. Well, he seems to be doing well now. Yeah. So, in, and he's—I'm assuming he's doing producing and stuff like that. Now.
1: He just started his own record label. Okay. Right. So he's really um, kind of—I see it sort of as a mirror oh. to Lin Scratch that he is um, curating and bringing in new voices mm-hmm. and giving them a platform.
0: That's great. Well, he's following in your footsteps. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Does he, how involved is did, did he get you involved, like with photos or anything like that?
1: Well, I try to, I do take photos of him and mm-hmm. I try to get him to use them, but that's a rare, mm-hmm. very rare. Did
0: he actually, <laughs>
1: <laughs> is but it he just aesthetic? Ca- he goes for the did um, produce a video where a lot of my images were used. Oh, no. Nice. So that was fun.
0: That's great. Yeah. Well, you have your own series that, regarding henry mm-hmm. right so you have him when he was a kid all the way up to adulthood which is interesting to see that but also more so i think you've worked with your daughter right yes you've done she has
1: been an incredible partner in my photographic journey you know she just really would always she wasn't like she wanted to model hmm. she just was happy to help me well, that's fun so
0: and then how does she know She's 30. How does she feel, like, looking back at, like, her childhood in your photos, basically? Well, for
1: instance, she was on the cover of PDN. Hmm. And she was over at a friend's house. And they oddly had it on the coffee table. And oh. they didn't know it was her. Oh. And she looked at it and said, there's my mother's photograph. She didn't see herself in that. Huh. Because she
0: identified it as mom's yeah. photo. So
1: that's kind of how she sees herself in my work. She's hmm. not. Uh, she really just sees it as my work.
0: That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So when you were working with her a lot, did she have input on like how she was no. posing? I mean, so you you kind of created the scene, right? So you curated her essentially as your as your model or muse, or whatever. So maybe that's why she has that a little bit of like disconnect because she wasn't it's not really her right you know it's it's your it's mom's photograph right like, it's a curious perspective to have you mm-hmm. know, i'm always curious about the kid dynamic though because everybody has a different perspective on that i can't get my kids to do hardly anything so
1: well there was a period i did have to pay her a dollar a photo <laughs> <laughs> i like that
0: well yeah you, you should be paying your models right so there you exactly. go
1: exactly <laughs> I
0: think it's interesting, too, is um, emotional connection with kids and and the photographer, like that kind of the parent and the child. Like your work is different in that way because it's not it's not about the kid as much. It's more about what your series that you're working on. But I see some people it is really about that relationship, about the parent and the child. And I get too in my head about that stuff. So I have a hard time. I think I'd actually do better if it was more your style, where you're just curating a scene and they're the model and they're not really collaborating with you. Maybe I should try that.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's interesting, kind of in the late 2000s, I started writing a lot about photographing family. Hmm. That's kind of when it came into the zeitgeist. Mm -hmm. And I really noticed a huge difference between father's photographing family and mother's photographing family. And father's We're really showing the reality and the chaos and the dirty house Mm -hmm. and the tortured parent. And Blake Andrews, in particular, really created some incredible work about his family that I just just still show in all my classes to this day, where women tended to idealize childhood Mm -hmm. and clean the house before they took the photo Mm -hmm. and sort of beautify childhood, right. and I think I probably did some of that also. But I was really much more drawn to the male perspective of family life. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe maybe you should think about that.
0: <laughs> well, I, I do think there is, like, the, you can romanticize something, especially when it's about your family. And, and you also don't, I mean, and maybe men are, like you said, maybe they're okay with showing the... the The dirt you know like the nitty-gritty piece of it i i'm not like that like i romanticize all my work (laughs) so maybe that's the problem i'm falling into you know it's like uh, i don't really do that you know but i
1: so wish that i had taken a photo of the legos when my son had a tantrum and tossed hurled them across the Mm -hmm. room and or, you know, his bloody face when he ran into something or my daughter. You know, I just, right, I did right. not photograph those moments. Sure, yeah. But I didn't have the awareness either. I wasn't, I really wasn't fully into photography back at those ages.
0: Right. Well, and you also, what I've noticed, I'm busy being a parent. So because of the the way I do photography is so, It's it's much more, you know, I'm purposeful, right? So I don't, I'm not one of those photographers that carries around a camera all the time and shoots everything. Like, I'm just usually in the moment. So I don't, I think about it later, like, oh, crap, that would have been a great photo. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I take a photo? You know, and we have iPhones now and you do that, but it's without intention, I have a really hard time, like, actually producing work that way. You know, of course I take tons of great photos of the kids, but it's just about the kids. And maybe in hindsight, someday I'll be like, oh, this, there's a theme here or there's something going on but uh, you know they're iPhone shots so I don't really think about them too seriously maybe I should but I, I tend to think in black and white more so I think maybe that's harder yeah you know even on trips I remember when it, my first trip to, to Europe I set my camera in black and white mode just because that's what how I wanted to see the trip like thinking about I had a digital camera cuz it was convenient and I'd had film as well but that was color film so I thought oh I'll shoot the digital in black and white and that'll make me feel better about it <laughs> it didn't really make me feel better about it cuz they still kind of look like all every other travel photo mm-hmm. you saw like it was really hard for me not so when I, when I just shoot the film stuff that worked out okay
1: but <laughs> I'm still all analog.
0: <laughs> I know you are. I know you are. In fact, that brings me to your newest series of work, which I think is just, uh, what is it, Fugue State? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love what you're doing there. And and I feel like it's a great nod to everything that I'm passionate about when it comes to photography and, and in you in particular being uh, known for portrait work. And, you know, so I'm assuming you're taking your negatives and distressing them, bleaching them, doing those types of things to them. and then But they create such this beautiful painterly effect in that series you talk about the loss of physical photographic legacies you're pointing to the fact that this is an object in that work but how are you displaying them how I, are you printing them i'm
1: printing them digitally
0: okay so you're doing digital prints yeah. and they're, are they large large prints
1: yeah p- people tend to like them like at 24 by 24 yeah
0: that makes sense Well, they're very painterly, so they have a lot of color and abstraction, but there's obviously still a portrait in there, and you're looking at a negative.
1: I mean, this series marries a lot of things. I was a painter before I was a photographer, and I was a colorist. Hmm. So I've always loved color, and I do love taking portraits. I mean, really, it wasn't until my book came out that I realized, oh, I take a lot of portraits.
0: Hmm. (laughs) Oh, really? Wow.
1: Yeah, I really think of myself as... Shooting everything. Sure. But but the series started because I'm, I'm always observing my children and how their behavior is different. Their generation's behavior is different than mine. Mm-hmm. And I realized they have never made a photographic print. Now, yeah. even when I was their age, we were shooting and getting prints developed at the drugstore. Yeah. yeah. And having, you know, a legacy that still carries on I can look back at you know pictures taken in college or right. at summer camp or mm-hmm. and my in- my children's entire legacy is on snapchat instagram they're kind of all off facebook now so <laughs> it's it's instagram <laughs> they've and moved on yeah they've moved on <laughs> I realized that they have no legacy to pass down to their grandchildren mm. and Will they snuggle up on a couch with an iPhone and swipe through their growing up? Right, right. And that really distressed me. And I also began to think about the formal portrait photographer. That hasn't existed in a long time. Mm. But you know, through photographic history people went and had their portrait taken right. as a keepsake for their family. And those were definite Objects, so I have been collecting vernacular and um, old photographs for years, just because I'm drawn to the object. Right, right. So I wanted to call attention to this loss of a real photo history, and if you think about it, it's possible that the most photographed generation in history will have no photographs to pass down.
0: That's so true. So It's sad. So the the message, I guess, is print your work, right? Yeah. You know, print even the even the iPhone shots. You know, the memories. Those are the, yeah. you know, we, we do a good job of every two years, my wife compiles a book of the kids growing up. And, and now the kids, because it's in book form, they want to go, hey, can I see the book from years ago and they actually pull it out and they're only eight and four and they already pull out the book to look over you know them and the, you know watching themselves grow up and stuff So I, I feel like as much as that those books are for us they're also for more so for them that's the only legacy they'll have too it's like unless we have a ton of prints laying around or if i'm shooting film mm-hmm. even that's going to be hard to access for them you know.
1: But we're also losing the technology that allows us to look at photographs. And there was a great – I can't remember his name. I'd have been Jeff Phillips, found a carousel of wonderful Kodachrome slides mm-hmm. and at like a thrift store. Mm-hmm. And he looked at them and said, the family needs to have these. And he put something on Facebook like, are you my family? Mm-hmm. And two years later – Someone recognized someone, wow. and he finally found the family to give the slides back to, and they said, well, we threw them out because we had no way to look at them. Oh. And I have been collecting lately a lot of um, vernacular negatives, hmm. and I think I'm able to acquire them because most people don't have scanners. Right,
0: they don't have any way to look at them. So, yeah, that's um, the big problem. You can't see yeah. the work. Well, and it's really not, I guess people just don't realize it, but there's a lot of places that will scan images for you, but it does. It, it is expensive. Well, I so. think
1: the non-photographer is really not wanting to work that hard. Right. You
0: know. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I don't know what's on there, so it's not that important to me, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, I went through, my grandfather had an amazing collection of slides from early 70s all the way through the early 80s. And I went through for the family before he passed away, I scanned everything. And it was just amazing to see my family's reactions to these photos that they have only seen when they were like young, when the photos were taken, when they'd sit down and put the carousel on. You know watch a slideshow that was the last time they'd seen that stuff so for me to like digitize it and then make them a big gallery of it was and even my grandfather we made him a book you know so he could have it like and you know like the memories just started flowing in you know because it's the same thing is that i didn't have a way to see this stuff before so it's been you know sitting in storage for just years but i was looking at that stuff gave me this perspective of my grandfather that i didn't really know about he traveled a lot. So a lot of the slides are vacation stuff. And then he had some work stuff in there, but then there's just a few images in there. It was like, wow, these are so artfully shot. And I don't know if he was purposefully doing that, if it just was, you know, happy accident. But either way, I just, I love that, that, that I see that because I never, you know, I never really thought of my grandfather as a photographer until I saw this stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, he, he shot a lot of photographs. And so I, I think that's, a, a huge loss for our society if we don't have that kind of stuff to go back to. It's sad, really. I don't know how we're going to deal with that, you know, how the next generation is going to do with archiving and stuff like that. I guess it's up to people like us to like keep it in the forefront. Yeah, I right? mean,
1: I still have a slide projector and a
0: screen. Screen. Yeah.
1: <laughs> slide projector. My, and the, screen. my husband keeps saying, can't we get rid of this? <laughs> but yeah i kind of miss those slideshow nights yeah i do too I, that was always fun i thought
0: and we we actually had one a couple of years ago with my in my, my in-laws house they have a bunch of great photos from when they were. so we was like well i have a carousel and let's just look at them all and it was great and they also hadn't seen a lot of that stuff since they were younger because they just couldn't really look at it uh, anyway i think it's a great project that you're doing we've exhausted the the dialogue about analog and digital in photography. Like, we've exhausted that conversation. And now we're thinking more about, okay, the world's gone digital. How do we deal with that as far as, um, you know, archiving stuff? All that stuff is, like, going to be lost. And right. my favorite thing to do is go to a thrift store and find old photographs. I mean, I think that a lot of us have that in, in connections. Like, these are objects. And when you lose the object, then what do you do? You know, what, well, I think we? this
1: is a huge issue for museums, Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they do? Collect t- TIFF files? And how do they maintain them so that they can be seen in a hundred years? Right, right. So, yeah. Make well, prints?
0: Yeah, always make prints. Make objects. <laughs> Let's take a break for a second.
1: My dad's name was Al. Oh. So, so he, that's
0: how you got it? Aline?
1: They put, my parents put their name together. My mother was Katrine, so it was Aline. Ah.
0: What's that from? Was that a family name?
1: She came from German roots. Katrine Kleihauer.
0: Oh, nice. Do you have a lot of German in your family?
1: Half. My dad's English. My mom's German.
0: Okay. Okay. Similar to our family. We have a lot of German.
1: And my husband is exactly the same.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. So you have similar DNA? Yeah. Nice. You mentioned being a painter when you were younger. You were in L.A., and then you went to New York when you were, like, 18, correct?
1: No, I went to college first.
0: Oh, you went to college first in L.A.? Santa Barbara. Oh, Santa Barbara, okay. What did you study in college then? Art. You studied art. So that's where you got the painting background? Yeah. Yeah, so what kind of work were you you wanting to do?
1: I did large colorist oils. Oh, okay, so that's what you mean by colorist. Yeah, um, very inspired by Corn.
0: Okay, Nice. So that does that does make sense to me now. Then looking at your whole career and and how you've dealt with color and stuff like that. After college, you moved to New York. So what was the impetus there? I
1: have always wanted to live in New York. I, I, as a painter, you know, as an artist, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be there. Right. And um, I got a job working in an art gallery and was really shocked at life on the other side of the table. Sure. And became disenchanted with the art world and then changed careers. But I still painted all through my years in New York and mm. some mm. of my early years of after moving back to Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Nice.
0: Eventually I know you're in the fashion industry and you have a whole backstory there. So you weren't doing any fashion photography, though.
1: I I have been surrounded by photography my entire life. My father was a photographer at one point as a business, but then a hobbyist. Mm. And we had a dark room in the basement. My uncle was a very well-regarded um, magazine photographer, and then I worked with all these amazing fashion photographers. I just never thought of it as something I wanted to pursue mm, Sure. So,
0: so when you came back so I guess what I was getting at is um, did w- what was the moment that, that you had decided that photography was the painting for you like how did the photography replace the painting
1: so I picked up a Pentax K1000 and started becoming the family historian mm-hmm. and I realized I needed to just be a better photographer so i took um, a beginning photography class and in that class Mm -hmm. i was rooting around my parents garage and found my uncle's twin lens Mm roloflex and it was that first roll of film i saw things that i i just saw differently and i realized that i could make art with a camera
0: Mm. nice that's a nice way to come about it, really, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it's almost like accidental. You know? But
1: it was also changing the format, hmm. you know, seeing square. Sure, yeah. And having a really good lens and and then maybe a year or two later discovered the Diana hmm. and the Holga and that that also shifted the way I saw and then it was sort of time to leave that behind and come back <laughs> but that f- that um toy camera community really was in some ways my first photo community mm-hmm. and there were a few online groups and that's where I met Gordon oh, Statinius, right. mm-hmm. and Susan Bernstein he was doing the back then. yeah and um we had this community online right. which was great
0: yeah i think that's sort of how i got into it as well is the the toy camera stuff and that's what i was shooting too at the time so that was definitely like a nice network of people to kind of be around yeah and especially when like all these digital sites and groups were coming up during that time there was a big toy camera thing happening i mean people have been shooting this stuff for a long time and all of a sudden i started seeing it i feel like that was the difference it's like people were shooting it. I just didn't have access to mm-hmm. it. And then suddenly there was venues online to see all this work and I think that that was like one of the plus sides to the the internet stuff.
1: <laughs> well, I remember um being asked to teach a toy camera class mm. and there was no literature at all. <laughs> so there was one guy that had written things that he could do with his camera on some, you know, janky Site
0: yeah some funky books that blog I site. like
1: you know copied everything down and right. distributed and you know now there's a gazillion books on toy cameras right, right. So.
0: well, yeah, I mean it, if I wonder too, like the um, you know I noticed that the the books that come out, not necessarily like monographs and stuff, but like the process books, there's so much that's um, available now that I feel like was really hard to get your hands on years ago. like I feel like when I started photography, The school they went to, they didn't have like an all process program at all. It was very much traditional black and white and color stuff. And and I just wanted to learn like basic pinhole, you know, but so I had to do like an independent study on pinhole. Nobody taught that, you know. But then I realized finding literature on pinhole was really hard back then to find like actual books and they they were around I found them but it was it was harder than way harder than now where I can just google something and find a book on pinhole photography and all the different ways that you can go with it.
1: Yeah. Know? I actually think that could be a gift. Cuz something I think a lot about is that it's in the importance of play in photography mm-hmm. that allow us to make mistakes, to try new things. And with that toy camera world, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. And part of that play, I think, was an important part of being an artist.
0: Yeah. Well, experimenting and not having any like rules or... Yeah. But I, th- I think that's right, and I think maybe that's why I, I I started leaning more towards like experimental photography because that's the stuff that I really enjoy. Yeah, and I liked getting in there and like getting dirty and like making a ton of mistakes and messing up a lot of my work.
1: Well, I think some of the earliest work I saw of yours were when you were burning your negatives. Yeah, yeah, I love that. work.
0: <laughs> but that, that's definitely part of it, though, mm-hmm. for sure. Like me being unsatisfied with, f- with straight photography. Like oh, I need to. You I need to like mess this up. for me I to be I do happy feel like
1: we we are coming out again of a period of rules. Hmm. I mean, I think that we are all sort of balking against the twenty image portfolio, mm-hmm. um, and saying, hmm. "No, I'm not doing it that way. I'm really going to create differently."
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I I've seen that, and I'm and I'm really enjoying a lot of the how photographers are are branching out and and doing a lot more object work and installation work. Because that's the kind of stuff I see in the regular art world way more than, and now all of a sudden photographers are embracing that. And, And photography is just a piece of what they're doing now. Instead of the thing, it's part of a bigger picture. It's so wonderful to see so many people working that way. Although it feels a little bit like a trend, on the other hand, but I've always been interested in the object itself. So for me, I'm like, they're, they're saving photography to me because you're putting well, it back in objects. Form, yeah, you know? but
1: so are books.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: And uh, one of my f- current photo heroes is Amani Willett.
0: Amani Willett.
1: His book, The Disappearance of Joseph Plummer, have you seen I that seen book? That. Mm-hmm. He really is using a huge variety of approaches to photography to tell a story. Hmm. And it's a total uh, fable. And redacted text, multiple exposures. I just am so inspired by his work. Okay. Oh, but it's all, it's out. in book form.
0: Nice. So you were saying it's he's doing all these different methods, and it's all in one book? Interesting. Yeah. Okay.
1: I think it's sold out, though.
0: I'm sure somebody could show it to me.
1: <laughs> well, come to L.A., and I'll show it to you.
0: <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Nice. I mentioned there's a lot of interviews with you, but the one— thing I picked up you you just had one recently with ain't bad. I liked what you said at the end here, but I wanted you to expand on it a little bit. And the question was posed, you know, what is your some advice you'd give to a beginner, which is kind of a question we all ask to someone who's been around and but you said stay anonymous as long as you can. What the hell do you mean by that?
1: I think once we, we become public with our art, we become self-conscious. Hmm. And I think that period of exploration and play and um, just trying things out without an audience is really important to your growth as an artist. Yeah,
0: that's great.
1: And that's what that means, that um, we should not be making work for anyone else besides ourselves. And all through my career, I have really thought, I really don't care what anyone thinks about this work. It's it's just, I just have to make it.
0: And that work's been successful. I always get asked that, what are you working on? And I really am, I always say N- nothing, <laughs> which isn't necessarily true. It's just that I don't share most of what I'm doing, you know. Being able to, and maybe that's because I'm always experimenting, like I was saying earlier, that I, I love that part of of creating more than anything else. Like the, you know, getting my work out there and showing it to people and being in galleries that's really just like kind of a bonus to me like the creating of the art is really where
1: oh yeah that's where my passion is fulfills and sustains you yeah
0: and i feel like if that's not happening then you probably shouldn't be making the art right you know my favorite work i see people's passion in and you can see it and feel it. And, it and it's like you said it doesn't really matter if, if other people like it because there's going to be a shit ton of people who don't like it they don't care about it you know i I, you know we find that at these review festivals that like everybody has a different perspective and you know you're talking to people as a photographer you're talking to people that have agendas for their their business or their museum or their publishing company whatever the case may be but really everybody has different aesthetics of what they're interested in and so you have all these great perspectives but Really, the core is, who cares what any of us say? <laughs> right? If you're not enjoying what you're doing, you know that brings up another question for me. Now that you've had all this experience and exposure, and, and, and are you working on another book?
1: Well, I just published one with Chris Graves on oh, okay. Los Angeles, which was really a completely different way of working, hmm? doing street photography and still lifes, um, to speak to my city.
0: Right on. So Chris Gray's Projects, is it already out?
1: It's out. It'll be there tonight. Okay. There's Um, a photo
0: book fair tonight. Yeah.
1: He asked – this is the second round he's done this. This is Lost 2. He asked 20 photographers from around the world to photograph their cities. Great. So Los Angeles is represented in the house. Yes. Awesome.
0: So in that work or any work that you're working on now, do you still have the – the same issue that you did when you were beginning as far as confidence level in what you're doing or do you are you pretty confident now with what you're doing that it that it works for you and that it's ready to roll
1: since i'm the only person i need to please mm-hmm. i have full confidence i am a severe editor mm-hmm. and i understand when things aren't working but i i just make my work and don't worry about it
0: that's great Well, that's good advice. Everybody should be that. But
1: I do, you know, as an artist, I feel like almost every project I do is very different than the project before. Hmm. And many artists have success by creating work that looks the same. Sure. And really having a legacy that's recognizable. And I don't feel like I have that. Hmm. And I knew that I was taking a chance. But as an artist, I couldn't keep remaking the same work
0: Mm -hmm. so yeah it's true because there is you know there's artists who have a style and they stick with it and they may or may not become famous for it but they do have a certain look or whatever Mm -hmm. a lot of the greats that you can think of in history have a look but i i feel like you can't discount people that are experimenting with different things that's the way of the world now i think you know that if you can't diversify, well, everything seems changing. like you just get bored. You
1: yeah, know? <laughs> yeah.
0: Like I would get bored. That's why I like to do different styles and different looks. You know, I don't think I'll ever have a, I don't think I'll ever have a style necessarily. But I think that's because I just like trying new things. Right. Yeah. And
1: I also like to make work that is poignant or thoughtful, and then make work that's irreverent and hmm. humorous, mm-hmm. and sort of keep that balance of
0: no, light and dark. The balance of light and dark. Do you feel like that creeps into your work a lot?
1: Well, I do definitely have a quirky side to me. Yeah. Um, not, I'm not a dark person, but I am really drawn to the odd. That's why making this book on Los Angeles was so different, because I almost all my work is constructed or conceptual. It was a different way of working, and I'm, I'm really excited by it nice. in some ways. So That's
0: great. Yeah, so you didn't stage things; you just uh, shot. Yeah. yeah, nice. Well, I look forward to seeing it. That's great. Well, I think we're good. I I really appreciate you sitting down with me to have a conversation. Oh, my pleasure. So we're in the middle, like we're in the middle of the reviews, and you actually were able to carve out a little time for me. So I really.
1: Yeah, we've what we've seen, dozens spoken to, dozens of photographers already. Uh, that's always a wonderful process too, of just having conversations with people and maybe giving them ideas that they didn't have before, or w- ways of seeing their work new.
0: Yeah, my favorite thing is when you when they break out a pencil, they have an aha moment with mm-hmm. you, <laughs> like oh, I need to write that down. You know, that's always great. So you, you know, you have people are very receptive, which is nice. The variety of personalities is always amazing to me. You never know what you're going to get when somebody sits down with you.
1: <laughs> and I have to shout out to the Photolucida creators and staff, Laura Moya, who puts on this incredible event. Yeah, it's massive and, it is. and very days. complex. There's
0: a lot of parts and pieces. And they do a really good job with working with the community, having the community invested in the festival, which, you know, it wasn't always like that. It felt like it was a bit of an island thing, and now the community seems way more involved. And every year it seems like it grows. It's not just about the reviewers and and the photographers. It's also about the community, which is nice. They've done a great job. Anyways, speaking of, let's go have some lunch.
1: Yeah, tacos. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, thanks, Blue. (laughs)
0: So I should probably mention that both Aline and I had just spent four days chatting up photographers at Portfolio Reviews before recording this conversation. And as you might guess, both of our voices were toast, but I'd say it was worth it. One of the things I really enjoy about these recorded sessions is I always walk away feeling I've learned so much more about my guests. By nature, it's a bonding experience. It does remind me of how important socializing is to humans. I think I've underestimated how much my unrecorded conversations have really shaped my human experience. For instance, we ponder sometimes the idea of what if. What if I had chosen a different path at the fork? What if I had made a different career choice? Now instead, I'm pondering, what if I'd had a different conversation? Or what if I'd spoken to someone different altogether? I'm curious if the effects would be so subtle you'd barely notice. Or would they be significant? I'm guessing it depends on the depth of the conversation, right? Anyway, I digress. In summary, Aline Smithson is a gem, and it's always a delight to share some time with her. Speaking of sharing time with her, Aline frequently teaches workshops. To see what she's offering this year, visit her website at alinesmithson.com and click on the workshops tab. Also, most everything we mentioned in our talk you can find links to in the show notes. Again, thanks for spending some time with me and the diffusion tapes. In my next tape, I get to know Hamida Glasgow a little bit more, and she continually fascinates me. Like, we did this Jeep commercial, and uh, we had two prototype Jeeps, and we did the commercial in the Yukon. Hmm. So we airlifted this prototype Jeep up onto a glacier, in the Yukon, via um, Hueys, they we had they were like the, yeah. so we, you know we just did all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Is that where your um, love of helicopters absolutely came <laughs> it was from that? Well, it was. The Hueys are great. It, oh my gosh! I think they're the sexiest things on the planet.